The reading from the scripture this morning is Philippians 2, 5 through 11, from the ESV. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. So I'm Tim, or Tangy Death by Chili, as I like to be called. (laughs) Very clever, Allison, wherever you are, setting things up. Um, We are in the book of Philippians, and we have been talking about how Paul, from prison, writes a, a thank you letter to a church that didn't forget him, and how Paul assures them that God's at work, even in these terrible circumstances. And last week, the second week, we looked at how he shifted from talking about his own and how God was going to redeem his own circumstances to what they were going through as a church and the individuals that he was dealing with. And it looks like uh, he was encouraging them, thanking them, but also challenging them because it looked like they have issues with grumbling and complaining and bickering in and amongst themselves. So it was in that spirit that we ended last week where he was encouraging them to be unified, to be of one mind together. And then he launches into these verses this morning, and this is a very well-known passage about the nature of who Jesus is. And it's kind of like, whoa, is this, are we taking a, a shift here? Uh, talking about how Christ humbled himself. I, I think this is all part of, because we come right back out of this, uh, to don't grumble or complain. I think this is uh, a picture of how we actually live together, as John was saying, living together in a way that honors God. And that somehow these verses and this picture we get of Christ helps us to actually live. It's, it's, I think, very practical. If you take these six or seven, well, five or six verses, and you team them with uh, the prologue of the Gospel of John, that would be John 1 through 14, and the first four verses of the epistle, the first letter of John, you get kind of the best, those are, these are the three best pictures of the sort of mystical nature of who Jesus is. The gospel tells us what he does and much about him, but those uh, three passages kind of describe him in a, in a different way. So we're going to look at that. I also have to tell you, these verses are among the most debated verses in all the Bible. Uh, people have written innumerable uh, uh books and papers and PhD things on what did Paul mean as he wrote this. And I'm not going to dive into that. I don't think it ultimately matters, but I do want to sort of give you a flavor as to maybe why. One is that the tone of this changes with verse 6 
Uh, and if you, if people, when they read it in the Greek and it starts with who though he was in the form of God, it's as if the meter and the rhythm would change. So as we had a uh, time in the rain, if you heard that or people listening to that later, you would recognize that something had changed in the way, even though I was using English words, something in the rhythm and the, in that case, the rhyme. In this case, as these verses were written, the meter, the language changes. There are uh, individual words used that aren't used other places in Scripture. So many people, one of the reasons this is debated is that many people feel Paul had sort of taken a known hymn or song or liturgy and inserted it here. don't know that Paul didn't write it. Paul may have, but it's definitely something that was different in this. It definitely stood out. One of the other parts, and there are several, but one of the other big things is in verse 7, and I'll just point it out to you, though we're not going don't, to, I don't know the answer, so I'm not going to dive into it, but he says, uh, God, uh, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And that word kenosis, emptied himself, was debated, especially about a hundred and something years ago. Did God empty himself of Jesus, empty himself of the attributes of being God? Is that what he meant by that? So maybe his omniscience, knowing everything, or his omnipotence, did he empty himself? And what did that mean? And there's a certain portion of the church that kind of led down a road that wasn't necessarily orthodox. And so again, this is debated. What did it mean that Jesus emptied himself? So uh, let me just say that the, 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 the orthodox understanding in the church is that he's been God. He always is fully God and fully man. It was impossible for Jesus to empty himself of being God and the attributes of that. So what did he empty himself of? So that's what we'll explore. And we're going to look at this in the sense of what I think Paul's, Paul's intent. So I'm looking at this more pastorally in addition to doctrine, but I'm looking at more pastorally. This is in the context of Paul trying to help a church stay focused on what's important, to get along within their families, within their church community. And I think what he's pointing to is the way Jesus lived his life in humility allowed for the church to be unified. So that's where we're going to be focusing on this. We're going to focus on three things. The path to humility and what Jesus shows us about that, the reward of humility, and then where do we get the power to be humble? Right? Where do we get the power to be humble? So path of humility, reward of humility, and power to be humble. So what's what's humility biblically? What's humility? I'll say it really simply, is that there's a God and you're not it. If you can admit that you're not God... now. You can laugh and say that's, but what are the implications of that? Is that you don't choose what's right or wrong, God does. As a Christian, you don't get to say, well, this is what I'm going to do with my life. There's a submission aspect. And humility, it's also been said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself biblically, but thinking of yourself less. 
So I think both of those, while it may be a little cliched in that, is, is actually they're, they're good things to think about because it's not that we think less of ourselves. We are made in the image of God. That is so foundational, as Michelle so beautifully said. Life at every stage, from when life is first, the conception, all the way to the end of life, the last breath of someone who can't remember their own name. It is a precious gift of God. And we see what happens in a world where that's not, where we, we're utilitarian, where we say, oh, well, life is defined by what, you know, how productive you are, if it's convenient for me. That Doesn't that lead us down a very different road than to say God is the author of all life at all times? And so we honor. Whether they believe in God or not, we honor because people are made in God's image. And so uh, the humility part of this is to say, I'm, I'm not going to think less of me, but I'm going to think of myself less. And I'm going to understand that I'm created and he is creator. So with those sort of simple definitions, let's look at what Jesus thought of the path of humility. So Paul, again, writing and encouraging people not to have selfish ambition or conceit, to count others as better than themselves. I'm going to pick up with verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we talk about that Christ was pre-existent. He always was. It wasn't that he was born in the same way. He's always been. He has always been God. But somehow he, in this lofty state of living with God in perfection, no, no pain, no problems, such as he would experience on earth, he began from that high position to descend, to come down to earth. We sang a lot of the songs this morning, and we talk about how he came down. So the idea of humility was sort of lowering himself. So in what ways did he lower himself? Well, in verses 6 through 8, we started with 6. He was in the form of God, but he didn't count that equality with God, that lofty state, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And by taking the form of a servant. So he came down from heaven to earth, and not just he, he could have come as any person in any. He could have come as the most exalted king on earth. That still would have been so low for him. If he'd come, whoever the most powerful person is who's ever lived on the earth, if, if Jesus came and took the role of that person, it still would have been humbling for God. But what did he do? He came in the role of a servant. Then, not only was he in the role of a servant, but he emptied himself being in the likeness of men, found in human form, then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So he allowed himself in that human form as a servant to be killed, and then death on a cross. And I don't know you know, how much we think about death on a cross. Maybe I think of it more of the pain, the excruciating pain. But it was a humiliating death. The Romans did it to make examples of people. And so we think of 
the humility coming from where he started with God is in something to hold on to, but kept lowering himself, humanity, servant, death, the most humiliating kind of death. What's the point? Well, it's amazing, (laughs) but that's God that the Bible talks about. That's, when you look and compare to religions of the world, this is unique. He is God who lowers Himself below you, not just relatable to you, but keeps, remember last week we talked about how when right before He died, He puts a towel on and He washes the feet of those around Him. He continually humbles Himself. It's hard. It should be somewhat hard for us to think about. Let me just give you an example. You have, I don't know who you admire the most or who's the most, you would consider the most important human in your life. If you have a boss, the C, if you work for a big company, think of the CEO coming over for dinner or whatever person of, of esteem and power that just happens to come to your house. And before dinner, you're supposed to serve them dinner. You're probably nervous enough about that whoever it is, and they go wash their hands and they, they spend a long time in the bathroom. You're wondering if they're okay. And you knock on the door and they say, I'll be done in just a minute. And you get in there and they've like rolled up their sleeves and they've found your toilet cleaner and your bowl and they're bending over and they're washing all around your toilet. The parts, you wash the rim, but they're getting underneath. <laughs> they're getting all the parts that you missed. How would you feel? I think I would feel somewhat embarrassed that I hadn't done that, that they were doing. I'd be like, why, why are you doing this? I mean, is it that bad? Like, you know, wh- I, I think there would be some, this is awkward. You're the, you know, president or the bishop or the principal of your school or you're some rock star or, you know, Taylor Swift is cleaning your toilet. Oh, that hit close to home. I know. <laughs> How would you feel? It would be awkward because we think that's not appropriate. I should do that. And you see, this is part of the problem is we think when we have sin and when we don't measure up, we've got to do it. But you need to let someone greater than you into the, if you will, the toilet bowl of your life. And to clean you up and it's embarrassing. And you think, you're, you shouldn't be doing that. You're too important. That's why Peter, you know, when he's washing the feet, he says, Lord, you shouldn't be doing that. He says, if I don't do that, you have no part of me. Whoa. He says, wash me all. He says, no, I just need to wash the worst part of you. Your feet are the worst, Peter. You can take care of the other smelly parts. But I'll, this is the worst. joke. He needs to take care of all of you. When uh, we started Living Hope, my father-in-law was just such a key part. He's since gone to be with the Lord. And and, uh, one day we were figuring out how as a church of about 10, do you get people to come to a church that looks more like a, I don't know, not a church. And, uh, And he said, I have a great idea. Let's go 
to local parking lots and get people as they're coming out of their car and tell them, we're starting a church, don't you want to come? And I thought, great. That's just what I want to do with my Saturdays. What you have to understand about my father-in-law is that he was a presidential appointee. He was a managing partner in one of the largest law firms in the world. So very, by worldly standards, he had achieved a really high status. They didn't know that. They just knew someone was accosting them in the Target parking lot. (laughs) I wanted to scream out, don't you know who he is? You should listen to him. I tell you all this by way of saying humility is not saying, oh, well, I, I mean, I'm too important to do that. Jesus, Paul points to Jesus and says the, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to say God's so important. God is God. And he says, okay, I'm coming down and I'm coming down and I'm coming down and then I'll be lifted up to a cross. See the The journey all the way down, back up, the first back up was up to a cross. Right? If I be lifted up from the earth, we used to sing this song, lift Jesus higher. If you're an old Christian from the 70s or 80s, lift Jesus higher. I don't think I ever knew that meant I'm putting Jesus on the cross. I thought that meant I was praising him and lifting him, whatever. That scripture says that was to determine the kind of death he was going to die. The path to humility is saying, Lord, I look to you who did all that so when I treat my brothers and sisters who disagree with me, who are just wrong, who sin, amazingly enough, there are people in this body who actually sin. Your pastor being chief among them. And I treat them with the respect and forgiveness and my family members and I look to Jesus, not to how the world does, which is to tear down. From there, the reward of humility, he says, look, let's go on. The reward of humility, first for Jesus and then for us, he says, and we'll start in verse 8. Um, I'll pick that up just so we have a, a running start. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that once he's lifted up to the cross... And he's died and then says God's Spirit raises him and exalts him for the humility, the most humble thing that any one has ever done. And he was exalted to this grand place, not because he achieved a lot, but because he sacrificed so much. And he says that's the way if you want your church to be a place where people actually love each other, we have to have that same attitude. He says, well, can I be exalted? Matthew twenty three eleven. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant, and whoever humbles himself will be what exalted. 
James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will raise you up. He will lift you up. So yes, not exalted as Jesus was because we'll never be humiliated or humbled as Jesus was. But the reward we leave to God in this life and the next, but I want to be lifted up to Him. I want to be glory to Him, but to trust that if we humble ourselves, we actually will see something that the world can never give us, which is the joy of being with Christ Two other things as we close, I just want to uh, mention here. The very first mention of, of humbling in the whole Bible was in the story of, of Moses and Pharaoh. And to set the stage for this, in Exodus 5, uh, verses 1 and 2, Moses says, Thus says the Lord, named Yahweh, we'll come back to that in a minute, the God of Israel, Let my people go, to which Pharaoh replies, Who is this Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know this Yahweh. And then several plagues later, God says to Pharaoh, this is uh, chapter 9, verse 17, You are still exalting yourself against my people, and you will not let them go. See, Pharaoh, in exalting himself not humbling himself, refused to acknowledge there was a God. Remember, that's the start of all this. There's a God and I'm not it. Pharaoh said, no, I'm God. In Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was God. Same in American culture. I'm God. I don't call myself Pharaoh. I call myself Tangy Jet Death by Chile. Verse Exodus 10, verse 3. This is the very first mention of the of humbling in the Bible. God looks at Pharaoh and he says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That's a question we all should allow the Lord to ask. Even those of us who are Christians, how long, how long before you humble yourself? The call of scripture is to humble ourselves. God will eventually humble all. Every knee will bow. Demonic knees, atheist knees, Every knee, the Bible says, will bow. The wise person bows their own knee now and experiences the God who lifts us up. How do we do that? We sit at the feet of the Word of God. We sit before brothers and sisters and we listen to others who would speak the wisdom of the Lord to us. We yield our desire to be right all the time. We receive with joy what God has given, hard things. You think God's only going to give you easy things? I know that's tough. Believe me, I know some of y'all are experiencing. I, I, I am amazed at your ability to continue to walk in amidst some of the difficult things you've gone through in your lives. But God is faithful. God is faithful to lift up those who bow down before Him. Last thing I want to say, this phrase that if you've been around church things for a while, you probably have heard, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. That phrase comes from Isaiah chapter 43. It's a quote. Isaiah 45, 23 says that every knee will bow, not to Jesus, but to Yahweh. That chapter of Scripture is an explicit declaration of how God has sovereign rule over everything. And again and again, it says, I am the Lord. About five times it says, I'm Yahweh, and I'm going to make my will known because I have a name that no one can stop. And so in this, as he says, every knee would bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says, there is a name that was given to Jesus in verse 9 that is above every name. It doesn't say what that name is, but I'm going to guess the allusion to Isaiah 45 and that strong connection would say, Jesus is Yahweh. He is the sovereign, all-powerful God, which makes the fact that He came from heaven to earth to servant to death to death on a cross, all that more amazing. Your God loves you that much. And Paul's going to turn now to the most ordinary of things after the grandeur of something like this. You know what the next verse is going to be? Stop grumbling and complaining. That's where we go next week. I mean, to go from a picture like that, he says, because why? Why? Because the power to be humble? How do I get that power? How do I get the power to stop grumbling and complaining, to stop about whatever? And we'll list, we'll, maybe we'll get a blackboard, we'll list all the things there are to grumble and complain about in our world. We'll, we'll just take the past three years. Has anyone grumbled over anything that's happened in our world in the past three years? Just kidding. We don't have a blackboard big enough for my grumblings, let alone anyone else's. The power to be humble doesn't come necessarily from trying, though we have to apply our will. It comes from remembering the God who fills you. The spirit of the living God that can fill you is a spirit that would come from heaven and end up on a cross, not because he had to, but because he humbled himself, because he chose to, because he loves you so much. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the way your scripture, your words teach us how good you are, how much you value us, how much being created in your image can change us. And as Paul wrote to this church to try to get them to live differently than the world around them, to not be citizens of Philippi, but be citizens of heaven. Lord, it's because our, our founder, the person who we live for, is not from this earth. He came to it, but it wasn't his home. And you call us to live differently and to join you in a different citizenship and a different life Lord, and we've got such a short time here on earth and a world in such need. Help us not to waste a day, but to love you as much as we're able because we're overwhelmed by your love for us. Build your kingdom, Lord, at Living Hope in all the churches in our area, country, and world, and every believer across this globe. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close?